This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. I'm Alex Mellers. And I'm Tai Fu. And right now, it is Saturday, August 1st, 11.36 p.m. And, of course, we are here to discuss the main event... The Boston Bruins signed Anders Bjork to a three-year contract extension. That's obviously Woo! the main thing that we're here to discuss. Let's go, Anders. Actually, that's not it. Here's something we haven't been able to say for 144 days. The Montreal Canadiens just played a hockey game. And here's something we haven't been able to say for 151 days. The Montreal Canadiens just won a hockey game. And not only was it a, a hockey game, it was a playoff hockey game. And, you know, I didn't count how long it's been since they won a playoff game. I know it was 2017. Don't have the number of days in front of me, but it is many. It is over three years. Man, this is a day, it's a night of celebration. They fucking did it, alright? Uh, they said that the Penguins would sweep them. They said, we're not even be close. Well, look at us now. But they, do you mean me? You, yourself included, but everybody else in the hockey world as well. Nobody picked the Habs, and here we go. We've got a series lead. I haven't won just yet. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but the series is one nothing. And let me tell you, playoff hockey, I have missed the hell out of this for the Habs uh, for the last three years. Damn, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? Three years. Jesus Christ. Like, like watching the Imagine game. Imagine being a Sabres you know? fan. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, you think three years is a long time. Oh, that's rough. But that's enough about the Sabres for this episode. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I realized during the game, I'm watching the thing, I haven't felt this feeling watching hockey. Like an actual, a real investment, a nervous excitement about the outcome of the game. I haven't felt that since, well, like, the last time they were in the playoffs in 2017, right? And it's it's special, man. It's special watching your own team, the, the, your favorite team, go head to head in a playoff game. I know technically it's not the playoffs, but man, that was that was something. But it also technically is. Sure, it it will have it both ways. But man, it's just even even if you know, it's just just to have that feeling, not necessarily of them, you know, winning the game, which is a whole you know another level, but just watching them, you know, play in the playoffs and be actually this invested after what three years of total garbage, including this one. Uh, to have that feeling of really just your just total and absolute commitment to this team and them winning this game, I mean, I, I missed it, and it's back. Yeah, so in case you haven't noticed by now, this is going to be an, an unconventional episode. Actually, actually, maybe it actually is a conventional episode. It's just we're so used to having no games to talk about that this is actually what, what normal is like, kind of. But I basically, just to, to give you a little bit of background, I didn't sleep very much last night because I actually I recorded an episode of my other podcast uh, last night at like 11.30 p.m. about a movie that had just come out. So my voice is a little sore and I was tired. And as the overtime was going on, I, or like before the overtime started, I asked you like, okay, what's our plan? If this goes more than one overtime, sorry, I'm too tired. I won't be able to do it. We're going to have to do it like early tomorrow morning. And you're we like, okay, fine. But then as soon as that uh, Petrie scored that goal, my energy shot straight up. And I feel like I could stay up for hours now. Like my, my adrenaline is through the roof. And I was thinking, because I was talking to, I was watching the game with, with my whole family and told my sister, my sister said something similar to what you said. Like she hadn't felt that same nervous excitement about the Canadians since the last time they were in the playoffs. And I was thinking like, you know, maybe I, I usually feel that way, like at the World Juniors, 
or I like even maybe a little bit to some extent, like last year, like the 18-19 season, when they were playing super crucial, meaningful games down the stretch to try and make the playoffs. But this was just this was the next level to be in a playoff series. And honestly, I feel like the fact that it's best of five and every game matters a little bit more than best of seven, the intensity of a normal game one was even dialed up a little bit more than normal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when they scored, when Jeff Petrie sniped it on that curl and drag uh, on Matt Murray, I mean, you, you said it best. Fucking jolt of electricity right through the body. I jumped out of my seat, uh, which was like like 10 centimeters away from the TV at that point because I was so <laughs> freaking nervous. Uh, and, you know, maybe a bit of fatigue setting in or we're around 11.30 p.m. Uh, it's really the nighttime. But now, you know, yeah, the adrenaline's rushing. I could talk for fucking hours. I'm bursting at the seams with energy because because of the outcome of this game. Playoff hockey is back, um, and yeah, I just I couldn't be happy right now. It's 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 something. It's just everything it right now feels seems to be going right uh, for the Habs and hockey wise. The bubble's intact. Nobody's caught COVID just yet, uh, and it looks like we've got tons of hockey down the road. Starting with uh, this, this fantastic was- game tonight. Kind of, uh, as you said right at the beginning of the podcast, this was a, a night to remember. Actually, maybe I'll, I don't know if we'll get copyright stricken, but I could replace the theme music for this episode with a night to remember from High School Musical 3. Anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, what I wanted to mention was, you probably remember, in our last episode of 2019, in December, we each ran through our top 10 favorite Habs moments of the 2010s. And to be honest, I hope that this isn't the case. I hope this coming decade, the 20s for the Montreal Canadiens, has much success, many playoff victories, maybe even a Stanley Cup or two. Um, but if this decade has like a similar amount of success as the 2010s, then I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this very game on that list because of how much fun it was to watch, especially after such a long time off from hockey. Longer longer break than we've ever seen from hockey. As I said, it was longer than a normal offseason. And to immediately... Besides that exhibition game that was pretty terrible to watch, to get this super high stakes, like from zero to a hundred right off the hop, it was it really was a night that I'm never gonna forget. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going back to the best of five thing, it really this game felt so important. You know, as I was watching it, going through the overtime when the game was tied in the third period, I was thinking, you know, if they lose this game, I know even if they win the game, odds are they're still they're still gonna find a way to lose the series. Uh, but if they lose this game. It's over, right? Uh, they play this hard. They play a great game yeah. tonight, I found. And But if they lose it, if they somehow manage to lose it, cough up that 2 two nothing lead, and then lose it in overtime, a pretty long overtime, I mean, it's over. The series is fucking over. They have no chance. Uh, and, hell, you know, it might have been a sweep. But uh, it's just, it, the, the dynamics totally change. And if you think about it, what, there are four games left in the series, and Pittsburgh's got to win 75% of it. they got to win three of four. That sounds like a pretty tall task. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's, it, I mean, I, I think you could tell just watching the game, even though the Habs won, the talent, there was quite a talent disparity uh, between the yeah. two teams. Um, but so I'm not putting it beyond Pittsburgh to win three or four. I'm not saying the Habs have it in the bag. Nothing like that. But but just with that one Jeff Petrie goal, that one moment to have me, you know, jump out of my seat, I feel exponentially better uh, for the Habs outlook on the series. Yeah, like in a normal playoff series, you win game one, 
it really just feels like, all right, we're off to a good start. We've won game one. And now, like, even as I'm watching, like, all the other games that happened today, Carolina won, the Blackhawks won, the um, the Islanders beat the Panthers. It felt like, wow, all the teams that win game that lost game one are going to have a really hard time coming back from that because in a five-game series, just being down one nothing already feels like such a big hole to climb out of because, as you said, you've got to win three of the next four. Meanwhile, if you win, you've just got to split the last four games, 500, and you're on to the next round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, compared to the seven-game series, I feel like the chasm after game one, it's, it's, a, it's a big hole to climb. Uh, out of the teams that did lose today, I think, I think Pittsburgh might have the easiest time uh, if they were to make it out. But still, it's it's nonetheless, like numbers-wise, this game was just that much more important. That was statistically 50% versus 75% of the games. Uh, it's it's a big difference. And so let's let's get into the game, shall we? Uh, so what what other than obviously that last goal by Jeff Petrie, uh, what stood out to you? What what do you want to touch on first? Uh, I think do you want to just kind of go through in chronological order? I feel yeah, like that sure. makes sense because there was pretty much stuff throughout. Okay, so uh, I maybe I think one of the best things about this game and why we feel so great about it is because our expectations were basically as low as possible, especially after that that exhibition game against the Maple Leafs, where pretty much nobody showed up, it seemed, and they got totally shelled, basically no scoring chances. My expectations were on the floor. I was like, you know what? I was, expect- I was expecting about like maybe a 4-1 win. As long as they don't ex- embarrass themselves like they did against Toronto, then I won't be too disappointed. So all of a sudden, they come out of the gate. Brendan Gallagher gets this great net front scoring chance in the first minute, and all of a sudden, I'm on board. And I yeah. think it was it was about like eleven minutes in was the first goal the Kakanyemi uh that f- kind of fluky bounce. Um, I wanted to point out I don't know I don't know if you noticed, but what basically happened was like Jack Johnson and Zach Aston Reese kind of like bumped into each other a couple feet out, and then Jack Johnson kind of turned around, wasn't exactly sure where the puck was, and then shoved Kakanyemi towards the net, which and then like that kind of. You know, him, he at Kakanyemi, Kakanyemi hit the puck into the net thereby. So actually, um, I think you're subscribed to The Athletic now. Am I, am I right on that? Not quite, not quite. Okay, we're, anyway. We're making, we're, we can work on that, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, so anyway, so Dom Lecician had a, a preview of this series that he released a couple of days ago, and he said, of course, Pittsburgh is the all-time favorite, but Jack Johnson takes him down a couple notches, like which is a lot for one player, I guess, a couple notches. Um. And honestly, just like switching him out for Yuso Rikula would boost their odds. And I mean, I was kind of like, all right, I don't know if one player can make that much of a difference. And seeing that goal, he seems to be right because that was pretty much solely Jack Johnson's fault. Yeah, I mean, look at him just bumbling around on the ice. Uh, and if I know I'm skipping ahead of quite a bit uh, to the overtime, but I, I do believe he was the one responsible for that Jonathan Droy penalty shot uh, that, that happened in overtime. And so, yeah, Jack Johnson... Not a very good defenseman. Not a very good contract. Uh, and so, I mean, look, got to shout out him, I guess. Uh, shout out to Jack Johnson. Uh, if if he's the key to, to winning this game, uh, I'll give him that. But but I want to touch on the very beginning of the game. But and 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 like yes, Gallagher had a great chance uh, at near the beginning. But after, but other than that, it felt like the first period was just absolutely dominated by the Penguins. I know the Habs came out with a one nothing lead at the end of it. But, I mean, I think Carey Price probably won the game. In, well, like, kept them in the game. By keeping them in the game, he prevented a loss. 
Uh, because I do believe, like, five minutes in the game, the shots were already 9-1. to one. I did the math at that point. They were on pace for 144 shots. Obviously, they weren't going to sustain yeah. that. But that just goes that just goes to show uh, to what degree they were really throwing the pucks on that. Uh, and so, yeah, the start of the first period, uh, if it's not Jack Johnson for the Montreal Canadiens, I think I got to hand it to Carey Price because he was rock solid out of the game. Yeah, Carey Price was was definitely one of the stars who certainly lived up to the hype. And um, yeah, well, I think the shots were like 18-6 at the, at the end of the first period. And I'm thinking like Montreal had a, a pretty good effort that period. Uh, they did pretty well in the first period, but they're going to have to sustain that to have any hope of holding on to this game and winning. And they're going to have to sustain that throughout the series to have any hope of winning the series. And the fact that I was somewhat impressed with them and they were still outshot three times didn't provide me with, with much hope. But I found they just got better and better as the game went on, besides that little couple of minutes in the middle where the Penguins got their two goals. Yeah, you know, I think i got to give credit, to Cla- quite a bit of credit to Claude Julia for this one. I felt like his system really worked for shutting down the Penguins. You know, uh, obviously coming into the series, uh, the talent gap was was, was going to be evident. But I felt like, you know, defensively especially, uh, even though there were, you know, quite the barrage of shots, throughout the game, but especially in the first, you know, I felt like, I felt like the system held up. I felt like despite all the talent on the Penguins, uh, I think, I think it was, I think it was a pretty well coached game. I gotta say. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I tried to focus a lot more in this game than I have in the past on line matchups and specifically like the home team, which was Pittsburgh today, dictating the matchups because a lot of the time, or obviously most of the time, you're going to play your first line. And that's especially true for Montreal, because ideally for them, they want to have Dano's line with Tatarin Gallagher matched up against Sidney Crosby. So a very fair amount of the time after a whistle, Claude Julien will send out that line. And then whoever Pittsburgh responds with, Claude Julien is happy, because either you send out, like, not Crosby's line, and, okay, like if they send out like the third line or fourth line, then you can pretty much count on Montreal dominating that shift. And if you send out Crosby, which is what Sullivan usually did, because you don't want to let the away team dictate when you put out your star players or not, then that is the matchup that Montreal wants anyway. So it did end up working out pretty favorably for Montreal. Yeah, uh, I know that the Penguins were considered the home, uh, the home team for this game. And so, you know... Uh, Pittsburgh had the last change rates, but I think, I think overall, uh, I mean, the lines, like they, they, I felt like the matchups were, were solid all throughout. Uh, and I mean, bench management as much as like, you can't really say much about it, but I felt like he did a pretty good job. Um, what one point, one sour note I found in the lineup. Uh, I mean, fucking Dale Weiss, uh, sure. you pointed it out. I pointed it out. Uh, but I just got to say, this is the opposite of a shout-out. Um, this man feels like a black hole. Every time he fucking touches the puck, he either turns it over, bad pass, some shit like that, ends in a dump-in that goes to the Penguins. Uh, didn't look too great, and I hope to never see him in the lineup again. Yeah, as I harsh as it may be. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Um, but I do expect that they will keep the same lineup for Game 2 that won this game. Yeah, Dale Weiss wasn't impressive, but that wasn't... Well, uh, the Flames just scored to make it 1-1. Uh, I thought I would point that out. Anyway, I was talking about Dale Weiss and how I wasn't expecting him to be very good, and that is exactly what happened. But Jordan Wheel also, like he had that uh, turnover in the third period. I think it was actually the turnover that led to the Connor Sherry penalty shot, 
if I'm not mistaken. So neither one of those two were so impressive playing on that fourth line with a new fourth liner, Max Domi. If it were up to me, I'd probably put in Jake Evans and one of Palin or Udon, but it isn't. And I mean, luckily they, they managed to avoid disaster. That fourth line did. Yeah. If we, if we, I think if you, uh, if you look at the trend among coaches, they don't really like to mess with something that worked. I think it worked tonight. Uh, despite the struggles of, you know, wheel and, and Weiss. So I wouldn't be surprised if I saw them back again. I don't really like them in the lineup, but hey, that's just a minor complaint because they fucking won the game. And so let's 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 turn let's turn around 180 degrees and look yes, at some uh, let's 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 continue on 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 the good points on the high notes. And uh, I mean, so it it was a sort of a youth movement for the for the two goals, uh, the first two goals from the Habs. Uh, he talked about Kakaniami scoring that goal thanks to. Jack Johnson, shout out again. Uh, and the second goal to make it 2 nothing in this game, uh, scored by Nick Suzuki, who I got to say, that goal included, had a pretty phenomenal game for a guy making his playoff debut. Oh, yes. Uh, Nick Suzuki, we talked about him. I kind of forgot about this, but pretty much every week, I feel like, while the games were going on during the regular season, we talked about how much we loved him and how much better it felt like he was getting. I think maybe save price, Nick Suzuki was the best Montreal Canadian in the game today. And you know, and I don't think that was a flash in the pan. I don't think it's far fetched to say Nick Suzuki is already the best forward on this team. And a lot of time we were talking about like what we want to see out of Montreal in the series, and not expecting them to win. We were saying, oh, we just want like kind of above all to see the young players succeed in their playoff debut. Debut most notably, Nick Suzuki and Esperi Kakanyemi. And there they go, 20, 20 years old, each of them, each scoring a goal in their playoff debut. And I mean. Kakanyemi's uh was somewhat fluky, wasn't necessarily a thing of beauty, but Nick Suzuki's goal on that that two on one snipes the top right corner definitely more than made up for it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the the one thing that I had written all all game in my mind over and over uh, as I watched the Habs play was, you know, if they do end up losing this game, the narrative is they can't fucking finish. They had a whole bunch of chances throughout the game to extend their lead to get the lead back, and they just couldn't finish. But, I mean, looking at Nick Suzuki, if this is the new youth movement with the Habs, I mean, this man can finish. Uh, I mean, fucking look at that shot. He absolutely sniped it on the rush. And that's the kind of thing that the Habs have been lacking for the last, like, many years. I mean, they had it briefly for Radula, with Radula for a season. But since then, they, don't, they haven't had any, you know, real elite goal scorers. Uh, Suzuki looks like he's got the shot. Just I know it's a small sample size, but we've seen it all season. He's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, hopefully Cole Caulfield will pan out as that elite goal scorer. And so if, fingers crossed, we're looking at uh, a trend in the near future for this team is that, you know, the, the, the narrative changes from, you know, this team is solid on five on five, but can't seem to finish to, you know, a team that can actually score goals. And I mean, Nick Suzuki wasn't just, uh, I mean, great on that offensive shot uh, for that goal, but also, I mean, I got to say, he had, he had a tough matchup all night. I saw during the broadcast that they, they put out, like, who was uh, matched up against Sidney Crosby at center all game. And I think I, like, I don't know how the, the numbers were at the end of the game, but late in the third, uh, he had actually had more ice time uh, against, like, matched up one-on-one uh, with Sidney Crosby than Philip Dano. He had the most on the team. And I know Crosby ended up scoring a goal, but I don't think that was on Suzuki. I don't even think he was on the ice at the time. And, I mean, other than that, I think Suzuki did a great job on both sides of the ice. 
seemed to shut down Crosby pretty well for most of the night. Yeah, Nick Suzuki, he stole the show. He really did. Honestly, I I think there's a pretty good chance he's going to start working his way into the Selkie conversation in a couple of years because we see with like these these defensive centers are they're kind of you know people say they take a long time to develop and if he's already this good at 20 then I cannot wait to see what he's going to be like uh, what he's going to develop into over the over the next couple of years as you said doing a, a pretty good job up against Sidney Crosby in his playoff debut uh, speaking of Crosby he scored the first goal for Pittsburgh from behind the net which is a pretty Crosby thing to do because he tends to find success oftentimes from behind the net and that two-headed monster in Pittsburgh I found like Malkin started the game really strong he had a couple scoring chances in the first period but then as the game went on I feel like he, he kind of disappeared and he wasn't as noticeable yeah yeah I mean they mentioned it many times on the broadcast it seemed like he got frustrated I mean he had the chances uh I I, I just felt like he had a bunch of point-blank shots uh I, I know he found himself in, alone in the slot at one point and totally fanned on it uh, and, you know, a bunch of shots from the point, just nothing really clicked for him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just an off night for him. Maybe the Habs successfully got into his mind. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's just the, the concern with the Penguins, obviously, when you're matching up, is this two-headed monster. Uh, and despite that, you know, that goal by Crosby, I mean, the, 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 the big matchup disparity is with Malkin because you have that first line to shut down Crosby's line. And I think they did so pretty successfully, uh, even though Dano took, you know, way too many penalties for my liking. But, the, the you know, that second line with Malkin, that's where the, the talent imbalance becomes, you know, way out of whack. But I think the Habs, and I, this is where I go back to the system and Claude Julien, I think they did a pretty decent job of shutting down Malkin. And I think I credit that for why he wasn't really able to generate any real noise. Yeah, people did mention that in the coming days is a big advantage for Pittsburgh. The fact that Montreal has the one great line with Dano that can shut down Crosby. And then after that is where it kind of falls off. But I think Nick Suzuki proved today that he can be as good of a shutdown center as Phil Dano can. I mean, you, you said it yourself that he played more against Crosby than, than Phil Dano did. So I think right there your top two centers are two guys who, who have proven, whether it be today or over the course of their careers, that they can, at their full potential, shut down Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. That's wild. I can't believe we're saying that. I mean, just looking looking in the past, the centers for the Montreal Canadiens have not been good at all. Uh, and I got to say, I'm excited, not just for the rest of the series uh, and potentially further, but like just as a whole. This game uh, gives me so much hope. I got to say, that it, the outlook on this team, honestly, it changed more tonight than it should. But it just it gave me such great feeling to watch them win a playoff game. I know experience, especially playoff experience, seems to be overhyped in the NHL community. Uh, but, fuck, the youngsters won a playoff game. Uh, and, I mean, it was Scott in the Emmy, Suzuki. They scored the goal. Suzuki played fantastic. It's just, it gives me a lot of hope, and I'm hella excited. Yep, I'm I'm on the same page with you, you on that. Uh, so I guess continue moving forward in the game. Brian Russ scored soon after that for Pittsburgh to make it two two, and that was like I got that was probably the low point of the game when it was like it kind of felt at that point like Pittsburgh was starting to get rolling, at, and that there was a pretty decent chance they would score like three more goals before the end of this period. But uh, Montreal held them off. It was two two at the third intermission, and then early in the third period, Montreal had to kill off a minute and a half of five on three. 
Yeah, so when they score that 2-2 goal, first of all, before, like, seconds before the, 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 the Penguins tied the game, I mean, or, like, in that in that power play, uh, on that power play, the Habs had a couple of, what, two-on-one shorthanded chances? And yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah. manage to score on either of them. And I was like, it's it's 2-1 at that point. I'm like, oh, my God. They blew it. And then they scored the goal. Pittsburgh scores the goal. And I'm like, holy shit. They're going to do it. They're going to fucking blow it again. This is classic Habs. You know, they get your hope up. They get your hopes up with a nice lead. And then they fucking blow the tires. Uh, and the game's over by the end. They're going to lose in regulation. It's fucking the sky is falling. Uh, and even after the goal, uh, the, the after Pittsburgh tied it, it sounded, it, seemed, it seemed like they were on the driver's seat. They were really pushing the play. Uh, lots of, you know, offensive zone time for them. So, I mean, whew, fucking dodged a bullet there. Uh, but, yeah, that 5-on-3, uh, I got to say, I was so fucking nervous. Because, you know, these 5-on-3s, I mean, it just looks like for a lot of them, you know, you see a 5-on-3 in regular, uh, regular season, just in general, and it's like a tic-tac-toe, bam, it's in the back of your net after five seconds. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they held down the fort. Uh, they killed the 5-on-3. When it was five on four, they killed that too. Uh, that, that just goes to show. First of all, so many penalties tonight. Uh, well, today in general, it seems like the refs weren't a, weren't hesitating to call the penalties. But I mean, the Habs took a lot, and I think it was the, in the end it was like seven two. Uh, the penalties, and I mean seven penalties is a lot. I know the refs blew. It, it didn't seem like they were taking any shit. They were calling it by the book. But still, I mean, I could see the penalty on every single one, uh, and so I wasn't outraged by any of the refs' calls. So. One thing to improve, I think, drastically is to clean up on the penalties because for a lot of them, the vast majority, uh, it looked like, I mean, they were completely unnecessary. I looked at them, I'm like, man, you did not need to do that. You did not save a goal. You didn't save a grade A scoring chance. Uh, you just took a dumb penalty. And so if there's one thing that needs to improve on, on for next game and beyond, they got to clean up the penalty situation. Yeah, I agree. Um, we have though, like, I'm not complaining about the rest when I say this at all. In fact, I'm kind of happy we're seeing more penalties being called today because I, at least I've been complaining and you have for the last couple of years come playoff time that the refs like to quote unquote, let the players play, especially as you get deeper into the playoffs when actually what that does is it's, it's a disadvantage for the teams with more skill because now their opponents can clutch and grab them and get away with more. So I'm glad to see the NHL seems to somewhat be cracking down on that and that they're not willing to, that they don't want to, you know, just limit the amount of penalties in the game just for, for, you know, optic purposes. And also in this Montreal Pittsburgh game where they didn't feel the need to have any makeup calls for the Penguins to make it relatively even in terms of power plays. I like that. Those are seem to be positive improvements for the NHL as a whole. But, yes, that's not a commentary on the Canadians because, I mean, yeah, stop taking penalties, please, especially you, Phil Denno. Uh, it seems kind of unlike you. The only call from the refs that I didn't agree with today was the um, the penalty shot call on uh, – it, it was Jeff Petrie, the defenseman, for Connor Sherry's penalty shot. It didn't seem like uh, like it was such an infraction to me. but So I, w- I was kind of frustrated about that. And if Sherry had scored, man, I would have been pissed. But like and but then honestly the Drewan call too the Jack Johnson penalty shot in overtime, uh, in a vacuum I probably wouldn't have agreed with that call either. But based on the Petrie one, I figured that one had to be a penalty shot as well. Yeah, uh, frankly, I was surprised both either of them were called a penalty shots. We see penalty shots so rarely in the NHL, uh, especially in the playoffs. And yeah, I think I kind of agree with you. Uh, it's just they seemed pretty ticky tacky. It was kind of a light, uh, light touch on both of them. But hey, I mean. I mean, they set a standard, they followed through, 
and neither of them ended up uh, in anything good. Uh, for the shooters, uh, yeah. Shiri totally missed the net, and Duran was even worse. I mean, I was embarrassed for him. Uh, that was an atrocity. He didn't even get a shot away. He just, like, mishandled it, and it just, like, went off to the side. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was that for penalty shots. But in terms of, yeah, those makeup calls that we see so often, I am, I mean... Let's 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 be honest here. That the Habs did deserve to be at a seven-two disadvantage in the penalties. Uh, it just wasn't clean. But yeah, I think it's I think it's a good sign for the refereeing. It's been a problem. I've, we've complained about it every year, as you said. Uh, and it becomes a totally different sport. Uh, what the playoffs versus the regular season. And if we're moving into this, you know, I keep saying this. It seems that really, it seems like I sound like a broken record. If we're moving into this new speed and skill hockey game of the future that we love to see. More goals, more excitement. I mean, you got to call it by the book, and it's and I know technically it's not the playoffs, but it is a playoff atmosphere. And if the refs aren't afraid to call these penalties, I mean, good, good. It's an improvement for the game, and I look forward to it in the future. I mean, fuck, power plays are exciting, aren't they? I mean, they're I gotta say they're more exciting than five on five play. What the the chances of a goal skyrocket? More goals, more fun, more elite changes, uh, and I'm a fan of all that. And what's going to happen is the players are going to get used to the penalties being called more strictly, and they'll get used to it. And there won't be as many power plays because of it, but there will be more open ice and less players, you know, hooking and tripping and such. So that will be an improvement for the game. Uh, just to give our listeners an idea of where we are now, it is 12.05 in the morning on August 2nd. So I do believe this is the first ever multi-day episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. And about a, a minute, two minutes ago, Toby, Tobias Reader just scored a shorthanded goal for the Flames to make it 2-1 to one Calgary. So uh, I kind of shot all over the Flames' bottom six the other day. Uh, Toby Reader proven me wrong. Anyway, um, we are now we're in third period. Yeah, there were no goals. I wanted to mention, though, before, that there really is something kind of like, I don't know, if like endearing is the right word. Maybe not, but about how like you got this obviously non-playoff team in Montreal just due to strange circumstances, getting to play in a playoff series, it's almost like it's a little bit more more like lighthearted and fun. It feels less serious than it would be if they were actually a Stanley Cup contender. Or like, I feel like if I were rooting for Pittsburgh tonight, even if Pittsburgh did end up winning, it would have been like a much more tense feeling instead of this nervous excitement. Yeah, it's the underdog story, man. We love a good yeah, underdog exactly. story. Uh, and I mean, the Habs are the fucking ultimate underdog in this playoffs. First of all, nobody believes they can win shit. Most people predicted this to be a sweep. Uh, they didn't talk about the series much because they're like, ah, fuck, people are going to kill them. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot with over the course of the years. Tampa last year, just is the first thing that comes to mind. Teams, you know, just overburdened with the pressure of performance because they're contenders. They have to make it deep uh, because they did so well in the regular season and talent is there. The team is there. And they feel so much pressure. We saw it with Washington before they finally did it in 2018. Uh, and so, yeah, every year we see teams, you know, just kind of crack under pressure. The Habs, this, we saw, I think with the Habs, I know that team wasn't very good either in 2017, but they did win the division. And the whole thing was kind of tense. Uh, but with this year, I mean, really nothing to lose. As I said, underdog story. Uh, this team does not belong in this fucking playoff tournament. Uh, everybody knows that they were not going to make the playoffs. They were probably in here just for the, the fucking revenue and the eyes that a Montreal Canadiens team brings uh, and will definitely bring now that they won the first game. Uh, so, I mean, but but they're here. And they fucking won the game. And really, there's there's no downside here. And fuck, if they lose the whole thing, 
they get a one in eight chance, twelve and a half percent, baby. Alexi Lafreniere in the draft yep. lottery is just it's 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 so easy to cheer for them. That's it. Uh Speaking of the draft lottery, which is now nine days away, um, Pittsburgh, Edmonton, the Florida Panthers, and the New York Rangers are now the four front runners for getting Alexi Lafreniere since they have all lost today. So just a a little interesting thing that their their odds all shot up, and the four teams who won today so far. Their odds have all shot down, but I'm having a very hard time being upset about it. Um, so I find that so I guess if we're we're heading into the the overtime now. I I feel like it's a tradition that every single year on the first day of the playoffs, there's always at least one game that goes to overtime. So can't say I was too shocked once all the first three games ended in regulation. That once we were they were heading into the third period, tied to two, I kind of had the feeling like all right. I guess Pittsburgh and Montreal, I guess that's the game this year that's heading to overtime on day one. And I think Pittsburgh had a, like a grade A scoring chance, like 20 seconds in. And I, I wasn't ready for it to end that quickly. I, I, I just wasn't. And by the way, if it did end at that point, then my energy would not be this high at all for this podcast. But it didn't. And it carried on. And as the overtime went on and on, and there were a couple of scoring chances, then all of a sudden we hit this uh, Jonathan Duran penalty shot on a turnover that I don't think it was Jack Johnson. I think it was someone else who turned the puck over. But Jack Johnson is the one who committed the infraction. Yeah. So, first of all, back to playoff overtime. I mean, fuck, it's what we, what we watch the playoffs for. I know we watch the playoffs for the excitement. But also, I mean, it's a classic. Uh, we love the lack of a shootout. That's what I have to say about yeah. that. And so, yeah, just the, the infinite overtime. It's it's a beautiful thing, I got to say. Uh, but, yeah. We, it's we, going to end. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. So, we, we so yeah, that that fucking penalty shot. I mean, I know I, I briefly mentioned it, but uh, I mean, I gotta say, Jonathan Drouet, another. Low, we're going back to the low points, unfortunately. Uh, this guy, I thought I I mentioned it when we were watching the game live. He was invisible. I mean, just did not show up anywhere. I didn't hear his name uh, anywhere. Like every time he touched the puck throughout the night, all the game, it just seemed like eh, he was dumping it in. That's the end of the scoring chance. Oh, look, he's going to the bench for a change. And so, yeah, when he had that breakaway, I was like, oh, shit, Jonathan Drew. I was just about to comment, Jonathan Drew, totally invisible all game. And then he fucking comes in, gets a breakaway, gets a penalty shot. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the ultimate redemption story. He's had a pretty bad season. Uh, he's been much maligned since the trade for, Sir- with, uh, you know, where he was traded for Sergachev. This is it. This is the fucking He's about to win the whole game. God damn it. But frankly, I didn't really have much faith in him, given all that. But, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of split, you know, maybe, maybe he will get that redemption story, but alas, fucking totally blows it. Holy shit. That was a disgrace. Um, an atrocity. And I got to say the shine on Jonathan Drouet, if it wasn't already gone, fucking gone after that one. Yeah, man. You know, cause Jonathan Drouet early on in this season, before he got injured, when he was playing on that third line with Kotkaniemi. He was he was very good. I, he had a lot of scoring chances. I think the two of them had pretty good chemistry. And honestly, I think that's where he belongs. I think that he's best suited as a third liner, which is, is kind of painful for me to say because there were such high hopes for him when he was drafted and dominated junior and even still when he was traded to Montreal. But I just feel like I don't think it's going to work out from the top in the top six, man, because I, I'm very hesitant to have these, like, these old man takes about players who are like words like selfish or like, Oh, he still has like this junior mentality where he can just dangle through everyone or tries to show off. I, 
very I'm very hesitant to use that about any player, but I mean they all kind of seem to fit for Jonathan Drouin. And like I feel like that maybe that penalty shot is a good example of it. Him of him trying to like deke to the backhand and just flubbing it because he was, I don't know, looking the wrong way. So it was it was very frustrating. And I I hope that he can prove me wrong and turn out to be the Canadians MVP and suddenly put it all together and hit his stride because I mean the tools never went away, but he just hasn't been very impressive for the vast majority of his tenure with Montreal. Yeah, I mean he's only twenty five. You think about it, uh, but I don't know. Just the it, it really like I'm asking myself. I'm asking, oh gosh, can I get a fucking refund on that trade? Um, you know, I, I take that back in a heartbeat. Oh, I love I love that Sergachev on the defense. That'd be pretty spicy. But yeah, it just doesn't look like it's gonna work out in the top six. He said it. Um, he just he doesn't seem to be able to carve out any sort of role for himself. And I mean, yeah, I guess like the the whole you know trying to do it all himself, even though he can't. I I think it kind of applies. I mean, you talk about that breakaway, but like right after the next shift, he comes back. Uh, there it looks like a pretty promising rush for the Habs. And then he tries to, you know, take it in all alone. He's got support, but he tries to go take it in. And the puck rolls off his stick, and the Penguins go roaring the other way for a chance. And so, you know, it's just... And if it's not that, if it's, he's not negatively affecting the team, and as I, as I said earlier, he's just completely invisible. You don't see him. And so, yeah, the one request I have for... I mean, I'm, I'm cheering for the guy. He's 25. He can still put it together. I mean, from what we saw in junior, I think he's got the skill set to really... If you can put it together, I think the skill is there. But, you know, I, I, I hope the best for him. But I don't know. This guy, it just really doesn't look like it's going to pan out in Montreal because he just he can't seem to find a role for himself where he's really thriving in the top six. Yeah. Uh, Michael Backlund just scored for the Flames, making it 3-1 Calgary. Oh. So my prediction, and I think yours too, for Jets will win, isn't exactly looking great right now, although it is just game one. Uh, perhaps that is to do with Mark Shifley going down with what looks like a pretty bad injury early in the game. So now their centers, I guess, are Andrew Kopp, Cody Eakin, Adam Lowry, and Matthew Perot, I suppose. So not a great-looking center core for the Jets, who already, of course, have a depleted defense. Anyway, continuing on with the main topic at hand, Montreal versus Pittsburgh. Of course, the overtime goes on. For uh, uh, about 10 minutes later, after the um, Drew angle, not, not Drew angle, sorry, Drew penalty shot, and that is when we see the winning goal, which I just pulled up on the NHL app to watch again in its full beauty. Jeff Petrie receives the feed from, uh, oh no, it wasn't really a feed, it was kind of just a sitting puck after it bounced off a few bodies, and he roofs it, and it was beautiful, and I shot out of my seat. Which, to be honest, I rarely do. I rarely actually physically shoot up out of my seat to celebrate a goal. But I did today, and it was totally called for. You know, I actually shot out of my seat for every single one of those three goals. Like, physically leapt. Because, uh, you know, they took the lead, and then they furthered that lead, and then they won the game on those three goals. It's, but yeah, that 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 Petri goal, I mean, didn't he, he? Yes, he did. He had that chance, I think it was two minutes left in the third period, where... He took a shot from the point. Uh, it was kind of a nothing shot, but it ended up fluttering. I think it might have hit somebody in front, and it went off the post. And I when it hit them, that didn't go in. I think it was Tatari tipped it, and or I was like, Jesus Christ, they could have won it there. And I was like, you know, another missed opportunity. Can't fucking finish. If that that was gonna be the narrative, they ended up losing. But yeah, 
redemption story, I guess. We're talking about redemption story with Drew, eh? Uh, he he actually did it. Peter did it. Uh, and it was kind of a it was kind of a weird play, right? Uh, it was the rush was broken up by the Penguins, but they all overcommitted to the back check, and so when the puck kind of squirted out toward the you know the high slot, while Peter was there and he sniped it on Matt Murray. Well, let's talk about Matt Murray for a second. Why was he starting? That that, that was an interesting decision by Mike Sullivan, their coach. Um, I mean Tristan Jerry had the better season by far. I think, yeah, Matt Murray had a sub 900 save percentage coming in. Not a good season at all. When the seasons, when the, when the season stopped, when it took a pause, Jerry was the starter. And I thought it was interesting that he ended up going back. I think when we do end up going, moving on to other games uh, that happened today, we'll talk about other strange goalie starting decisions perhaps, but this one stood out as well. When I saw Matt Murray was starting, I thought Tristan Jerry more than deserved the start. I know playoff experience back at it again. Uh, I think this might be a case of that being overvalued. Matt Murray wasn't anything spectacular tonight. Uh, and I mean, I thought that was a pretty stoppable buck by Petrie. I mean, it wasn't, I don't think he roofed it. I think it might've gone between the arm and the pad. And so, yeah, uh, a bit of a head scratcher from Mike Sullivan, I thought. Yeah. There are several surprise starting goalies today. Um, and Matt Murray, I, we kind of had the idea, at least I did a couple days in advance that this was coming because, like, Murray did play the first half of the exhibition game, which generally was an indicator, not in every instance, as we'll get to. And most Penguins beat reporters did say, yeah, it looks like it's going to be Matt Murray. And apparently Mike Sullivan didn't even think too hard about it. At least that's what I heard. Because, as you said, probably because Matt Murray has won two Stanley Cups for Mike Sullivan for the Penguins. And that was, I guess, the the big be-all and end-all for, for the Penguins making that decision. But I would have gone with Tristan Jari. And Matt Murray, he didn't shit the bed or anything. So I do expect that he will be the guy for Pittsburgh going into Game 2. And speaking of Game 2, we want to preview that a little bit. It is uh, under 48 hours away. So these, these things, after after so many months off, these things are they're going to come one after the other. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like a snap of a finger. And we're already going to be uh, at game two. And I can see this going any number of ways. Either Montreal kind of, you know, picking up where they left off with a bunch of momentum from this game one win and kind of maybe something similar to what we saw with Columbus and Tampa Bay last year. Or maybe this loss for the Penguins is just used as, as fuel and Crosby and Malkin come back and dominate. And I could 100% perceive of either one of these options or anything in between. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I can't begin to predict the game, too. Uh, frankly, I had no faith in this. I know that I picked them in the bracket last week, but that was because, you know, you got to have hope sometimes. Apparently, that's paying off right now. But, uh, I mean, I didn't expect to be, to have such a, you know, even if they, if they did lose tonight, I don't think I would have such great hope for them for game two. But now that they've won, it really could go either way. I can visualize it either way. Uh, the Habs carry it, as you said, or, you know, the Penguins come back super hungry. But I felt like the Habs, I don't know. I have a good feeling about it. Uh, and I got to say, I am taking a vacation starting, well, today, if you count, like August 2nd, I am leaving on a vacation where I will be totally off the grid. And this may be the fucking worst time of the vacation I've ever had because I am missing, what, two games. Uh, then I'm missing game two for the Habs. I'm missing game three. I'm missing like five days of NHL playoff action. Fucking worst time vacation ever, I got to say. But uh, that's what that's what's happening. I'm totally off the grid. I won't have anything. No clue what's happening until you know the day of Game Four, and hopefully, you know, 
actually, this is a good thing. I didn't realize this until now. Uh, but now that the Habs have won game one, it is now impossible for me to return from my vacation, check my cell phone, and learn that the Montreal Canadiens have been eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, oh, which that is, is true. That's, which is, that's good news. Which is great news, I got to say. But yeah, just a heads up. Uh, I am on vacation this week uh, in perhaps the worst time thing. It wasn't originally going to interfere with this uh, the playoffs, obviously. But uh, yeah, hockey in August, that's what's up. And uh, that's my preview for my game, too. It's going to be totally in the dark because I won't know what's happening. Yeah. Um, the Montreal, like, I was thinking, like, during the, while the game was going on, like, during the third period, during overtime, like, looking ahead to this podcast, like, oh, what comments am I going to have if they win? What am I going to say if they lose? And one of the things I, I thought about saying, like, oh, okay, if Montreal blows this game, then that's probably going to, kind of as you said, pretty much be the death sentence because if you're the underdog like a really big underdog like montreal is you have to win the close games and if you have a lead like montreal did then you have to make sure that you win those games because if you blow leads or give up bad goals and you're the underdog then you've basically given up all hope so the fact that they were able to drill home this win that they i mean deserved i guess is relative but uh, relative to, I guess, what we were expecting. Montreal definitely deserved this win. And now there's kind of a little bit of room for error if there is a game coming up soon where Pittsburgh totally outclasses them and Montreal still might have a chance to win because of this. So that's one of the reasons why getting this game one overtime win was so big. Yeah, I mean, look at that. I know it feels like it was forever ago, but the regular season, uh, if we flash back to that for a little bit, I mean, the whole narrative I, I remember from that from so many games that I we kept talking about over and over, it seemed, was they kept fucking blowing leads. They would take solid leads uh, against often, you know, teams that were better than them and then completely shit the bed. Multi-goal leads, they were giving them out left and right. And now that I say this, I'm getting fucking, I'm getting flashbacks to all this. Oh my God. It's like, I, I kept saying this every week. They were blowing leads at the right. And that's why when the, when the Penguins, Tied the game, I was like, oh my god. I've, I've seen this all year. I know it's been five months, but I feel like I'm back at it again. And so, I mean, way to turn around that narrative, I gotta say. Uh, because, yeah, going back to that regular season, when they did play like that team that did not deserve to be in the playoffs, they were terrible at protecting leads. They were pretty bad at it tonight, I gotta say. Uh, they did blow the lead in the end. But to pull out the win, yeah, you said it. It's really important and as the underdog, you got to absolutely take the close games because you're going to have games where the talent shines through and the favorite wins pretty handily. And so when you get a close one like this one, when you get that opportunity, you got to grab it. And I think the Habs absolutely did. I know uh, it really felt like they were hanging on by the skin of their teeth for large chunks of the game, but they did. They hung on. And here we are at the game of the end of game one, and they have a one nothing series lead. Yep, they sure do. Even with Delwis on their fourth line and Xavier Wallet on their bottom pair, with no injuries, they managed to defeat the mighty Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, so that was super refreshing to talk for an extended period of time about a Montreal Canadiens game and a win, no less. But that was not by a long shot the only game that happened today. NHL action began at noon today and it's going to begin in the early afternoon for the next several weeks uh not only during this plane and round robin but also during the actual 
first round of the playoffs, which we aren't even in yet, and that's chaos by itself. So I kind of want to start now talking about the other games, starting with Hurricanes versus Rangers. I got to say, that game feels like an eternity ago. It feels like yeah, three really days is. ago. This oh, my God. I mean, I can't even believe this This game happened on the same day as the Habs one. But sure, let's get into it. Hurricanes, Rangers. Uh, Hurricanes took that one 3-2. to two. And, I mean, I felt like, I know this, it was a one-goal game by the end of it. But, I mean, the Rangers did score late. They scored a shorty. Uh, and, they like, with a minute left in the game. And so, it was 3-1. to one. That's what I'll call it. But uh, it just, it, it felt like a pretty straightforward win for the Hurricanes. Um, I after watching this game, I still don't understand why the Rangers were like everyone's like, oh, watch out for the fucking Rangers. Well, uh, no, I mean they, they the Hurricanes looked like a much better team out there. I felt like they were outclassed. The Rangers were, and I mean you look at I mean no, Zabanajad had a good game. He scored a goal, but other than that, Panarin MVP candidate totally shut down by that decor of the Hurricanes. And yeah, it just felt like the, it was a pretty straightforward game in that. The, town, the better team won. Carolina played the better better game throughout. Uh, and yeah, I thought it was a pretty straightforward game there. Yeah, I was also very confused why it seemed like so many people were picking the Rangers over the Hurricanes. Because it was pretty clear to me that, I mean, yeah, I mean, possibly Panarin and Zibanejad have the potential to steal a series. But Carolina, top to bottom, has the distinctly better roster. And, I mean, Brady Shea, who's now on the Hurricanes, kind of set the tone early on with a a big hit on Jesper Faust. It was a clean hit, but Faust ended up leaving the game and not returning. And then Jacob Slavin scored uh, about a minute into the game, which, uh, in my opinion, kind of set the tone the rest of the way. And even though it was a close game at certain points, it never really felt like the Rangers were threatening to tie the game or take the lead too much. It was Hurricanes made it 2-0 in the second period. It was 2-1 for a lot of the game. And then Hurricanes made it 3-1 in the third. And as you said, Mark Stahl scored that shorthanded goal with about two minutes left to make it 3-2. So maybe there was a little scare for the Hurricanes there near the end, but it didn't feel too serious, especially because Artemi Panarin did really underwhelm in this game. He was kind of invisible for much of it, which was pretty surprising. Yeah, I mean, first, let's go to the Rangers. Talk about interesting goalie decisions. Well, I know this one wasn't the decision because Shesterkin... I think it was announced he was unfit to play. The new designation for all players uh, that are that can't play, they are unfit to play. Uh, so uh, I mean, that's that's I don't know what happens if Shosturkin does play. It was lights out, but yeah, King Henrik, uh, who was I think resigned to the third goalie role uh, near the end of the end of the the regular season before the pause, he got the start. I mean, he wasn't spectacular. I think he did solid. He didn't steal the show by any by any means, but uh, I mean that's an interesting situation with the Rangers. They have three goalies over there. Yeah, Igor Shesterkin. Uh, worth noting, he was at the game, sitting in the stands wearing his mask, so he doesn't have COVID because if he did, then he wouldn't be allowed there. But so that means he 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 was injured, and so that's why. And I guess there wasn't really a a release about this too long before the game. So I actually thought when I first saw that Lunkus is starting. I thought they picked him over Shesterkin, which would have been a, a pretty questionable choice and turns out to not be the case. I thought Lundqvist, I thought he did pretty well. Like he kind of gave up that, that first goal a minute in, which was from a pretty bad angle. But from from there on out, I think he pretty much did as well as he could have hoped for. Yeah, but if 
he does end up starting the rest of the way because Shesterkin isn't able to heal up, you know, before the series ends. I mean, I don't think the Rangers have a shot in hell. I mean, he was their X factor. You know, he had a fantastic season where I think, you know, he could be one of those goalies that steals, you know, three games for a team and then you're on to the next round. But with King Henrik, you know, I, this guy is, uh, he's, he's past the twilight phase of his career at this point. And so, I mean, in terms of, X-Factors, I don't know if the Rangers have any. I don't think Lundqvist has the potential to steal anything for the Rangers, given the way he's played this season and even just today. So, like, given all that, I don't know what the situation with Shesterkin is with his injury, but if he does end up having to sit out for the rest of the series, I really don't see Carolina... Uh, I don't see Carolina losing the series. I think it might even be a sweep. Yeah, uh, I definitely would still predict the Hurricanes, even with more confidence than I did on our last episode. But I'm not ready to rule out the Rangers just yet, totally, because we have seen Panarin and Zibanejad unlock beast mode, which they could they could do at a moment's notice. And if they do, then I mean, good luck to Carolina on, on slowing them down. But I don't necessarily see it happening, and it would be harder than normal anyway because of how good this Hurricanes defense is. Um, so once that game ended, the next one started, and it was the Oilers versus the Blackhawks. And before that game, there was something of a, a ceremony acknowledging Black Lives Matter that involved a speech from Minnesota Wild player Matt Dumba, who wasn't playing today. And a lot of people, myself included and you included as well, were not very impressed at all with how the NHL decided to to, I don't even want to say protest because it was not a protest, to, as they put it, stand in solidarity with the, I guess, kind of black lives and frontline workers all in one big, like, quote-unquote, social effort during their exhibition games. And people were not impressed with that at all because if, we can talk about this a little bit because it really just seemed like they were trying to pander to both sides. And, I mean, if you're trying to pander to both sides where one of the sides is racist and bigots, then you're not really pandering to the right side, which is people who actually want to end racism and say Black Lives Matter and do something about it. So the NHL really kind of revealed their their true colors there for a minute. And that was kind of, you know, it came to the, to, to the light who they were really trying to impress when, when Eric Trump retweeted a, a picture of them all, the Rangers and Islanders standing during the national anthem in their exhibition game and saying, way to go NHL standing for the standing for the anthem. Yeah, I mean, if you you if that's that's the, all the proof you need that you know this was not uh, a totally committed act uh, in support of you know the Black Lives Mo- Black, Black Lives Matter movement. If you have fucking Eric Trump, uh, son of the racist president Donald Trump, going out and tweeting his support, I mean, not a fucking good look. Uh, that's if that's the way you want to expand your fan base, that is fucking a terrible route to take for the NHL. But you know, I mean, fuck, could you? Can you honestly say you were surprised by that though? Like that that they would take that kind of crappy chicken shit middle of the road approach to this this situation. Uh frankly, I'm not surprised at all. Uh going back to the actions of today, I mean, I know Matt Dumba, he kneeled and he was like the first the first player, first NHL player to kneel during the anthem. I got to say I give I I give credit to him. He's got great courage doing this, being the only guy, but that's the fucking problem. He is the only guy, right? Nobody knelt with him. Uh throughout the day, over the course of any of the four games. And frankly, that's that's kind of disgraceful. And, uh, you know, that's just, it's disappointing. And if you really want to, you, you really, you really want to, you know, fucking, you know, show your support, how about 
actually doing something and not some performative bullshit and then patting yourself on the back afterwards and calling it a day and say, okay, we did our part. That's enough. Uh, we'll just, you know, put this on the back burner. I it just, it just seems like on every front, the NHL is unable to put uh, a proper, you know, take a proper position on this. It's been like this forever, but now that this has really come to, you know, the public's, the, the, you know, the public's, you know, the public eye, this whole, the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, it just seems that their their uh, deficiencies have just become that much more glaring over the course of these days. Yeah, every single, all the games I watched today, as the anthem started playing, I knew in my heart, except for Matt Dumba, that no one was going to kneel. But I was still hoping they would, and I was still very frustrated when nobody did. But with Matt Dumba, and I'm not Matt Dumba actually, but the Oilers and Blackhawks who were there with him, I don't understand how you can watch this guy come out and make this heartfelt speech, not to mention, not an experienced public speaker. He he was quite clearly nervous, and not just because he was talking in front of a crowd, but obviously because of the courage it takes to talk about what he was talking about. And he kneels as soon as the anthem starts to playing. Darnell Nurse and Malcolm Subban come over, put their hands on his shoulders. And I was, at that point, I was expecting at least a couple of the other Oilers and Blackhawks players to take a knee along with him, but none of them did. And I am trying to put myself in that situation. I don't understand how you could stand right there and listen and watch Matt Demba make that speech, then watch him kneel for the anthem and not join him. Like it was, it was honestly, it was embarrassing for me that moment being a hockey fan. Yeah. Even watching the Habs, uh, Matt Dumba wasn't there, but I mean, fucking embarrassed as a Habs fan to watch my team not kneel during the anthem. I mean, yep. I'm sorry. Uh, it's just, it's, it's embarrassing. That's what it is. I'm embarrassed as a Habs fan. I'm embarrassed as a hockey fan because, yeah, it's fucking chicken shit. I mean, it's it's cowardly, and nobody wants to take a stand when it is the time to take a stand for doing the right thing. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just it's 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 frankly it's enraging. I mean, it's on every front. Uh, we we know we want to talk about improving hockey culture. It just seems that they let us down. Yeah, and it's 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 not. It's not a good feeling, man. Every time this kind of shit comes up, it seems like they're taking the wrong route. And it seems like we're chastising the NHL about, about how they're doing something wrong and how they can do it better. And it's not good. I don't like doing this. I don't want to talk about every, every single time, you know, the, uh, some racial uh, conflict comes about. I don't want to chastise the NHL. I don't want to say, you did the wrong thing, NHL. I want to say, good for them. They did the right thing. They stood up for, you know, they stood up for, for, the, for the right thing. Uh, but we never end up doing that, and frankly, it makes me sad because you know, yep. fuck, we I, we talked about for the last I don't know hour how exciting this game was uh, to watch with the Habs and, and all that. It was great, and I mean to have this lurking throughout, you know, knowing that the hockey culture is so problematic and racist is it's 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 really saddening it really hits me you know every time i watch a hockey game it's kind of tainted with that yeah as much as it sucks i would love to not have that in the back of my mind but it's just it's just the fact of the matter it's just i have it and it's there and i think about it all the time it sucks Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know if you saw what ryan reeves said but he was talking about because he's um he's on the golden knights and they were talking about for their exhibition game against the coyotes a couple nights ago if they wanted to do some kind of some kind of protest, and I actually that game that wasn't on in Canada, so I actually don't know exactly what they did, but I think what he said was, whatever they were going to do, they all want to do it as a team, 
and he wasn't comfortable asking the rest of his teammates to kneel with him, which is extremely sad because, as you mentioned, problems with, with hockey culture and the fact that this this black athlete would feel like he needed to make all his to ensure the comfort of all his white teammates in doing this protest is a big part of the problem. And the fact that he, he would feel the need to, you know, put that comfort of his teammates ahead of, of this kneeling is, is not an indictment on him at all, but an indictment of the culture as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's got to take these, he's got to take, you know, his relationships with his teammates into consideration when he's kind of making this, when he's making this kind of decision. And so I don't blame him. It's just, it sucks that he has to, to think that, okay, uh, when I take a stand for racial justice, uh, not all my teammates will be behind me. And and because of that, uh, I might get looked, I might get treated negatively by my teammates. I might be ostracized. So I, I decide not to, or he decides not to, for, you know, the sake of his career, because he's not a superstar by any means. And so, you know, it sucks. And for the, I know the Wild are playing, you know, today at this point, since we're past midnight. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope that the Wild do take a stand for their teammate. And, and by taking a stand, they kneel during the anthem, given the speech that he gave that night, uh, t- tonight, I I mean, at this point, I think the, the Wild are our last hope, and I really do hope that they don't ostracize Matt Dumba. They they support him fully, and they support him by kneeling during the national anthem. Yeah, uh, Jordan Greenway is the other black player on the Minnesota Wild, and I'm sure sure you saw the photo of Dumba Greenway with Nazem Kadri and Pierre Edward Belmar in their exhibition game all leaning on each other's shoulders during the anthem, which uh, was not like a, a sweet or happy picture, as some people were painting it out to be. I actually found it to be pretty sad, as did a lot of people. So I do expect that Dumba and probably Greenway, too, will kneel tomorrow during the game. And I really hope they aren't the only two on their team, because that would just send an absolutely terrible message from all the other white players on the Minnesota Wild. And also the other team I want to mention that I still am holding out hope for tomorrow is the Maple Leafs because we've seen several of the members of their team wore Black Lives Matter shirt during shirts during their training camp and while they were working out. And I think Morgan Riley and Mitch Marner did talk today about um about being proud of or supporting Matt Dumba's speech. So I hope that they back up those words with actions and some of their players will kneel tomorrow during the anthem too, especially because that is such a big market team, the biggest market in the NHL, with such a big influence on the National Hockey League as a whole. I hope that the Maple Leafs do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Walk the walk. I mean, they all they all talk the talk. You know, everybody, you know, teams, the league, players, they all put out their statements uh, when, you know, this, for this movement really started to come to light. Uh, you know, everybody can put the Instagram whatnot. But fucking walk the walk and 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 do and protest because this is a form of protest by kneeling and 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 really protest for the right thing at this point. I mean, I know the Leafs have, I know a bunch of them wore their Black Lives Matter shirts. That's a solid first step. But you know, let's 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 see let's see some real action, uh, and hopefully that materializes. On a, to, I know, yeah. So both games are happening tonight. Uh, so yeah, holding out hope for both of those teams, uh, especially the Wild. I mean, if the Wild don't fucking kneel. I mean, are you fucking serious? Uh, your your teammate gives that speech. You have another black teammate on top of that. Uh, it's just if they don't kneel, uh, I will be incredibly disappointed with the one that like enraged by the wild if they don't 
because it'll just be another example of you know a black person on the outs uh, alone in hockey. Uh, what we see all the time. Uh, we saw Matt Dumbo alone kneeling tonight. I, I hope to God that we don't see it again. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you wholly on that, and I hope a lot of people do also. Uh, you, I don't know if you've seen this, but on Twitter, uh, Black Girl Hockey Club, I think it was them who started the, the Neil for Hockey hashtag. So this was mostly during the exhibition games when the NHL was doing even less than what happened today with the, the Matt Dumba speech. And so fans were posting pictures of themselves in their jerseys kneeling. And I didn't post a picture of myself, but I did post the hashtag a couple times. And But overall, besides that, the exhibition games, um, man, I had, uh, I had something to say about them. I, we, we didn't get most of them in Canada. We got a couple of them on TV, the Canadian teams we got. The rest of them, though, I listened on the radio. Like on the, the NHL app, there's like a little headphone icon in the top right corner, and you can listen to the local broadcast from all around. And that was kind of a, an experience. It made me feel like it was like the 1960s or something, listening to old-timey hockey voices with microphones without pop filters, pop filters, sorry, talking uh, talking about doing play-by-play on the radio. Huh. Good flashback to the past. Uh, yeah. NHL Radio. So uh, that's a free shout-out for you over here on this podcast. Uh, so should we move uh, – can we move on to the uh, Oilers game and actually oh. talk about it? Yeah, I actually totally forgot that we hadn't finished those games. We still have a couple more to talk about. Uh, yeah, so that's okay. how it started. Uh, Oilers versus Blackhawks. That was nuts, man. Uh, so this was game two already. And so actually both 12 seeds won today, the Blackhawks and the Canadians. This game ended 6-4 Chicago, which honestly is the – that score is closer than I think the game was. I kind of switched out and started focusing on Panthers-Islanders after that score got to be like 5-2. to two. But uh, the Oilers started Mike Smith, which I think is safe to say – the worst goaltending choice of the day because Mikko Koskinen was clearly better all season and Mike Smith was started because I guess he was good in the playoffs last year for five games for the Flames. And after McDavid scored early on in the power play, the Blackhawks scored four goals on Mike Smith. Uh, to be fair, not all totally Mike Smith's fault. The Oilers' defense did fall apart on a couple of those, but Dylan Strom, Jonathan Taves, Brandon Saad, and Jonathan Taves again absolutely lit up the Oilers for a 4-1 lead after the first period in that game, and it didn't really get much better after that. I mean, look, this is the narrative of the game now, right? They fucking started Mike Smith. Makes no sense. Why? I mean, I guess you said it. He did great last year. Uh, but A, he didn't win the series. And B, he was by far the worst goalie this year. I mean, he was a 902. It's That's pretty fucking mediocre. Meanwhile, who you have sitting on the bench for half the game? You have Mikko Koskinen, who, what, 917 this year. Fantastic. Reason they're they're in the playoffs is, is Mikko Koskinen. And, but what, you have to wait until they score five goals? Then, then you put him in? I mean, I was shocked to see Mike Smith make it out to the second period. And they announced that he was going to be the starter for the second period. I was like, what the hell? Dave Pitt, Tippett, what are you on? I mean, just when I saw the the headline, Mike Smith, I mean, like, I was, I was already baffled. And I thought this can't possibly end up in a good fashion. And it did not. And, I mean, Mikko Koskinen, I got to say, he played well. He played well today. Uh, his, what, he saved ni- 18 out of 19 shots. He only landed one goal. And so uh, that's the kind of gameplay the Oilers were looking from their goaltender. Fucking shame they start, like, they put him in halfway through the game when he, I thought, was the obvious decision. And so, yeah, it's just 
a pretty big coaching blunder, I would say, on, on behalf of Dave Tippett. I don't expect to see Mike Smith in any part of the, uh, in any part of the series or this playoffs because of this atrocity. He shouldn't have started in the first place. Uh, uh-huh. And yeah, other than that, it, I mean, it's a pretty fucking big offset if you think about it. I mean, Chicago won the game. Yeah, I thought. I think I had Edmonton sweeping them because the talent disparity is just so big. But I mean, fuck, they scored the goals. They scored six goals. I think was the last one on empty dinner. I don't know. But I mean, they nope. they scored the goals. Uh, Kubalik uh, showed us why five he's points. a nominee for the Calder. Yeah, five points. Absolutely lit it up. I mean, uh, just I'm I'm like fucking surprised. I mean, I, I can't believe it. Yeah. Chicago actually won. Uh, I didn't think they had a shot in the series, but look at them. They're in the driver's seat now. If you had known Mike Smith was starting game one, would you have still predicted an Oilers sweep? No, I would have predicted Oilers in like five. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Because, uh, right. okay, like I, I still think, you know, the Oilers still have it. I think they still got the advantage. Uh, I mean, uh, it's just, I think the talent between Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid is just so good. I mean, you saw that. They, they each scored a goal. And I thought they looked fantastic. The problem with the Oilers is, yeah, you said it, the defense was absolute dog shit. And so I hope they managed to improve it for the sake of my picks. Um, because, I mean, I think Oilers Nation will have a fucking meltdown if they lose to the Blackhawks in this playing series. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I mean, they were markedly yeah. the worst team tonight. I mean, other than McDavid uh-huh. and, and Dreisaitl, all over the ice and every, and every uh, you know, every factor, I guess, they were worse. Goaltending, uh, Mike Smith completely blew the... Shit the bed, and I think we all could have seen it coming when we saw Mike Smith was uh, was was starting the game. I'm I'm still scratching my head. I don't understand this this decision. Yeah, people made jokes about the Oilers and like there being some sort of gravitational pull with them in the first overall pick that's making them lose against the Blackhawks. I thought that was a little bit funny. But you mentioned Dominic Kubalik. I wanted to mention they said he was the first player in NHL history to score five points in his playoff de- debut. So very impressive playoff debut for Kubalik. And also, that reminds me of another fun stat we learned in the Montreal-Pittsburgh game, that that was the first playoff game to feature two penalty shots since 1923. So almost 100 years, two, two, two times of making history, I suppose, for the NHL today already, and we're just on day one. It feels like we've been doing this playoff stuff for like a week already. This is only the first day of nine days of round-robin slash playing. So I am, and I'm already exhausted by it. But I do still think the Oilers are going to win this series because I think Miko Koskinen will be playing the rest of the way. And the Oilers outscored the Blackhawks 2-1 to one as soon as Miko Koskinen stepped in. So that is an encouraging sign for Edmonton. Elliot Friedman did speculate that the reason Mike Smith started was because of some energy he provides. He has a lot of energy, I guess. And I'm here thinking, well, you know what would give me energy if I were on the Oilers? If my goalie played saves. And you know what would drain my energy is if my goalie made uh, made no saves and let in every goal and had a 625 save percentage and then came back out again to start the second period. I mean, the only energy Mike Smith gives me when I'm watching him play is like a chaotic energy because he's like flopping around all over the place, <laughs> uh, 50 feet out of his net. Uh, so yeah. I, what the fuck kind of logic is that? Are you kidding me? Energy? Um, <laughs> what a joke. I mean, I mean uh, you have a just, better guess. So he wasn't defending it. He was just speculating on what Dave Tippett was thinking. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be fucking surprised. It would be the most hockey thing. It would be the most Oilers thing if they decided to, to start their much worse goalie because they had an energy about him. Um, I don't know. It looks like they're going into voodoo magic at this point. Uh, I don't know what's going on with the Oilers. 
But yeah, you said it. I mean, fuck it. They lose the series. One in a chance. 12.5%. Alexi Lafreniere, another first yeah. overall pick. Oh, it's coming. It's, it's like a date with destiny at this point. Uh, I wouldn't even be surprised. You know, I would just, I would just be, uh, you know, just, I would, I would acquiesce to this, to my, to this, not to this fate. It, it feel, kind of feels inevitable at this point if they do end up losing the series. I mean, I think at that point, I think the, the, the Edmonton Oilers, they don't have a 12.5% chance. They probably have a 100% chance of winning the lottery. <laughs> yeah, uh, we are almost halfway through this Winnipeg-Calgary game. And, of course, I haven't been paying extremely close attention to it, but it looked like Patrick Laine was just taken down back to the dressing room holding his wrist. Jesus. So Jets, Jets might be running into some, some serious injury troubles here just in, in game one. I'm not sure how serious that Laine thing is. Anyway, there was one more game this afternoon before the Montreal one started at 8, and it was coined as the most boring series uh, possibly in a tie with Nashville versus Arizona. This was Florida Panthers versus New York Islanders. And with a 2-1 to one final score, I would say it pretty much lived up to the hype. Yeah, I mean, total fucking snooze fest. Jesus Christ. And I and I mean that literally because, I mean, I took a nap for half that game. I'm going to be totally honest. I did not watch it past, you know, the midway point. It was completely boring. Uh, if you're wondering why I have so much energy right now, it's because the Habs won. And it's also because I got some sleep uh, during the middle of the day. I mean, just, ha, ah, Jesus Christ. It was so boring. I'm Okay, fine. I'll talk about the teams. Uh, the Islanders, they don't score many goals. We knew that coming into the series. Uh, the offense is just not there, but their system's pretty strong. And the Florida Panthers, I got to say, I mean, I, I said in my prediction, they were not a playoff team. It seemed like with every opportunity they got to make the playoffs and get a playoff spot, they squandered it. While it just looks like it's the same old Panthers again this year, because holy shit, um, they were bad. Their whole thing was, oh, we got the skill in the offense. They had nothing going in the offensive zone. Uh, that was supposedly their, their advantage with the Islanders, but really nothing seemed to pan out. I mean, Bobrovsky, he played solid, but he kind of felt shaky um, throughout the game. You know, it just I didn't really have much faith in him. Maybe that's some confirmation bias going on because I think he's bad. Uh, I'm not too sure. But, uh, I mean, I it was a boring game. and But nonetheless, after the result that came out, I feel confident in my pick with the Islanders because the Florida Panthers team looks absolutely atrocious. Yeah. Uh, first thing I want to mention, congrats to Jean-Gabriel Pajot, who after losing seven games immediately after joining the Islanders, finally won his first game with them. And he, he scored a goal too, he scored the first goal of the game. And I pretty much echo everything you say about, about the series and echo everything I said in the last episode about why I predict the Islanders. If I had to predict uh, what the score of this game one would be, 2-1 to one Islanders, I think, honestly, that might have been it. Maybe I would have thrown in the third goal for the Islanders as an empty netter. But, I mean, this was not a shocking development at all. The Islanders play low-scoring hockey. This was the same score as their exhibition game against the Rangers, 2-1. to one. Uh, so they were really in their element. Like as the game went on and it and it stayed pretty low scoring, that's what the Islanders want. Like for the Panthers to win, if they have hope of winning, they're gonna need to open things up more and get into a little bit of a um a tennis match with a lot of goals. And I don't really see the Islanders opening up like that. And the Panthers, like if your thing is gonna be offense, which I guess is kind of what you have to do, then I mean you got to be better than that. Like Huberto and Barkov are expected to shoulder the load. And I mean, Trocek really did help when he was there, but then they made that that 
mindless trade at the deadline, sending him to Carolina, even though they still wanted to make the playoffs. And now their other weapons are Dadanov, Hoffman, I guess like Eric Howla. So they're they're very top heavy, and their top isn't even extremely impressive. Not to mention, like this is kind of a little bit of a digression, but it was reported that they are going to try to shed, shed salary for next season. And Dadanov and Hoffman are both pending UFAs. So if your third and fourth best forward won't be coming back next year, then I mean the Panthers might be in the the Aturati sweepstakes for the 2021 NHL draft because I really think they'll be fall, they'll be falling off the wagon. Another thing I want to mention, just a little another little side note. I don't know why Owen Tippett wasn't playing for the Panthers because they could really use an extra boost offensively, and he tore up the AHL this season. And he's on the 31-man roster, but he's just uh, sitting up in the, the press box or wherever all the scratches are sitting. I think he really deserves a chance to play for the Panthers in these playoffs over a guy like forward Mark Pisick. Yeah, I mean, it's just the, the, the talk about beleaguered franchises. I mean, I think the Florida Panthers, their fans, they got to be suffering. I mean, weren't they, I do believe, in a quiz I gave, they're like the answer to like the longest streak uh, without a playoff win. In, in terms 1993 of or 96 Jesus. or something. I mean, to go 20 years without a playoff series win, it really doesn't look like they're going to get it this year either. If you count, <laughs> even, if, no, even, even if you count this one as a playoff series and not either way, it doesn't look like they're going to make it through. And, uh, I mean, Jesus Christ. They really completely blew it. I mean, they had, thought they had the core uh, with Huberto, uh, with fucking uh, the other Barkov. But, I don't know. It just seems like with every turn, the Panthers are another franchise, kind of like the Sabres, where they make the wrong decision. Uh, w- didn't they make a trade with Vegas at the expansion draft? I don't remember what it is. Yeah, the, uh, they basically, the- they uh, just to, wait, let me try to refresh my memory on this. So they decided that they wanted to protect four defensemen and four forwards instead of seven and three. And one of those defensemen that they protected was Alex Petrovic. And so because they protected Alex Petrovic, they exposed um, Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith. And the other, no, actually, no, here's what, here's what it was. The other defenseman they exposed, like the fifth defenseman on their depth chart was Jason Demers. And they didn't want Vegas to take Jason Demers. So they worked out the <laughs> side deal with Vegas where they'll send Vegas Jonathan Marcheseau, who still had like one year left on a sub $1 million contract, and also Riley Smith, who they perceived as a cap dump, and in return Vegas would give them a fourth-round pick. So basically that was two-thirds of Vegas's top line and on their way to the Stanley Cup final that year and are still both very prominent players in Vegas's top six, just so just so the Golden Knights wouldn't take Jason Demers, who they honestly maybe wouldn't have even taken anyway with Marcheseau, who had just scored 30 goals sitting right there. And then later that same summer, Florida traded Jason Demers to Arizona for Jamie McGinn. So, uh, yeah, Panthers really butchered that one. <laughs> no fucking kidding. I mean, that's a little refresher for y'all. Uh, but, yeah, the Panthers, as I was saying, uh, another one of those, just a franchise that sucks ass year in, year out. They're not going to be good next year. And, I mean, contender? Never. Uh, I just I really don't see the light at the end of the tunnel for the Panthers. Uh, they have Bobrovsky, who I mentioned. Dog shit this season. Shaky today. Uh, I know he wasn't terrible, but, man, he looks like he's just about to fall into that level uh, with every single shot. And they're locked into it for the next seven years. So, whew. Talk about French fans I don't want to be a team of. Condolences to them. 
I wonder some I've thought of this actually earlier while I was watching the Panthers, how different it would look for them if instead of taking their franchise center with their first round pick in twenty thirteen and their defenseman in twenty fourteen with Barkov and then Ekblad, if they had done it inverse and gone with Seth Jones and then Leon Dreisidel. Even though in twenty fourteen if they were picking a center, they probably would have gone with Sam Reinhardt instead of Leon Dreisidel because he was the consensus number two. But just as a just as a thought, if they had Jones and Dreisaitl instead of Barkov and Ekblad, how different that team would look. Oh, are you kidding me? If they don't make those dumb moves, they are a uh, fucking contender. But uh, look at us here. I mean, that's the story with a lot of these franchises, right? You have all uh, the opportunity in the world because you're dog shit year, year in, year out. You have all these opportunities to get way better in the draft because of all those high picks. But you just keep swinging and missing, keep swinging and missing year in, year out. Uh, that's the story of the Sabres, the Coyotes. And now that we've talked about it, the Florida Panthers, um, truly uh, an example of garbage franchises. Okay. Yep. Is that all so, for our yeah, day recap? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's all that's happened. That, those are all the games today. Besides Jets and Flames, which is ongoing now, Flames are currently winning 3-1 to one in the third period. But uh, neither one of us has been play, paying very close attention to that game. So not much incredible insight to say about it, but... I will say that the Jets, if Shifley is out for the series, will be very hard-pressed, even with Connor Hellebuck, up against the, the Calgary Flames. So a couple of the things I want to talk about in this episode, which might actually turn out to be one of our longer ones, even though we are recording late at night slash early in the morning. Uh, I want to thank the NHL for one thing, because even though they've been done very questionable, you know, stand for solidarity, solidarity stuff over the past week, I do want to commend them for managing to get everyone into the bubble with zero positive COVID tests because the fact that I know that everyone is healthy in the bubble has been a big weight off my shoulders for me and has made it so much easier for me to enjoy all these games knowing that the players aren't, you know, spreading COVID to each other like they've been doing in, in Major League Baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a weight off my conscience, frankly, because if yep. there was no bubble... I'd fucking feel guilty watching these players risk their lives uh, for my entertainment. You know, I wouldn't feel good about it, but I know that, you know, they're all safe. It seems that everybody, nobody has COVID. And I mean, uh, they said that, you know, sports in a bubble would work. It seems like it is. I mean, basketball also COVID free. And, you know, they got the latest round of tests from the NHL, zero positive tests. We love to hear that. They're really thriving in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, and so I think they're, the bubble's the way to go. It's the smart way to go. Uh, yes, it's difficult. Yeah, it's challenging for everybody involved. But let me tell you, it's better than whatever the fuck's going on with the MLB right now. Because as you mentioned, fucking train wreck. Hello. Uh, I mean, look, they decided not to go in the bubble. Instead, what they're going to do is fly thousands of people on a daily basis across the country uh, when there is a pandemic uh, and, you know, travel and air travel especially is one of the dangerous, more, most dangerous things you can do. Uh, they're going to do that in full force. Uh, they did reduce the number of games, but, I mean, they're still doing this whole thing. And guess what? We have a team, half the fucking roster has COVID. And what? Because they already started the games, now we have to look at the teams that they already played. And then those teams, we have to look at the teams they played. And now we see games canceled, postponed, left and right, and left and right for all sorts of different teams. Uh, like a, a bunch of teams are involved. And now what are they saying? Uh, it's, what is it? It's Sunday today. They're saying it might the season might be get totally canceled by Monday. And so, yeah, we see an example of what not to do. A league that did not take the smart route, that did not take the public health advice to, you know, to go with the bubble. It's really not working out. 
it's just it, it seems time and time again you stick with the science you're gonna get it you're you're gonna you're gonna come out okay the nhl does that and i gotta commend them they said they would follow the you know the lead of the scientists the public health experts it seems like they really have with this bubble because you look at the numbers uh when you have 18 miami marlins of the mlb with all with covid and you compare it with zero in the entire nhl and the nba definitely kudos to the league officials for this one yeah, it, it's very clear, if it weren't clear already, that if you're a sport and you want to play during this pandemic, it's bubble or nothing. And if you don't want to do the bubble, or if your players don't want to do the bubbles, then uh, sorry, but you can't be playing. So, And I think, like, I'm not, I haven't been so, like, reading so closely on exactly the details of what's going on in baseball. But uh, you might know more about this than me. Is it true that, like, some Marlins players went out to a club in Florida, like, a couple days before the season started? And that's kind of that the source, the source of the main source of all this. Like, yeah. So yes. obviously, obviously, our main reaction is to put all the blame on those players. But on the other hand, the league also deserves at least some some blame because you should have known that if you're not putting any restrictions on these players for where to go or what to do, or if you're just kind of half-heartedly telling them like, please try to quarantine, that the odds are very high that someone's going to be irresponsible about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't just put some blame. I put a lot of the blame on the league. I mean, obviously, the guys who went out to the club, uh, you carry a huge responsibility on your shoulders uh, for this, for all of this. I mean, terrible decision-making. I'm not going to excuse their behavior one bit. Uh, but, I mean, let's not forget the league, the implication on the league of this. I mean, they're also very much at fault, not just some, you know, partially at fault. You shut the, you made the, they made the, the conscious decision that they were not going to shut this down uh, and put them in a bubble. They were not going to... Or like they made the rules lax on purpose and it came back to bite them in the ass because when this is, it seems like it's human nature as, as much as it sucks. It's just that you give anybody an inch of, of, you know, of opportunity, they'll take it and, you know, they'll take the selfish route. They want to go to the club for a night out. It's not a smart thing to do, but, and I'm not excusing that behavior whatsoever, but I mean, I think a lot of the onus falls on the league. You made the decision not to do this, not to go into the bubble, and like, l- look what you have to deal with now. It's, com- I mean, like, I, I'm not shedding any responsibility from the league for this. Uh, yes, it's you don't want your players going out to the club, but if you want that, you have to ban it. You have to make it a rule, man. And they did it, and look what's happening now. Uh-huh. Uh, Andrew Mangiapane just scored an empty net goal for the Flames to make it four to one. So it looks like Calgary has. Game one, pretty much sewn up into a bag with a minute 41 to go. Uh, I want to ask you, concerning return to play for hockey, what is your opinion now on the crowd noise that's being pumped into the broadcast? Okay, uh, you know, I was initially against it, and I'm still against the concept, but I'm glad it's not so overwhelming, you know? Like, it's, it's kind of like white noise at this point. Like, they really... You can hear the play, I feel, uh, much more than the usual broadcast. And, like, the fan noise is there. I don't mind it. I don't like it. I'm not, uh, you know, they have some... Yeah, I saw in the in the Jets game shortly before, uh, I think it was between right before they started overtime with the Habs, when Chesley got injured, you know, they were playing some music. Eh, not entirely appropriate. But other than that, I mean, I don't have any problems with it. It's just, it's kind of like white noise. And... I don't love it. I don't like it even, but fuck, I'm not going to complain about it because it's really, it's, it's insignificant. I find right now at this point. 
I was anti-crowd noise. Uh, when we were talking about it before, I actually saw it in action. But now I think it's safe to say I am team crowd noise. I like it. Oh. I am a fan of it. And are, are you surprised by that? Yeah, uh, I'm surprised at the complete 180. What, what do you like about it? Yeah, so what I like about it is what you said is like it's not too noticeable. And that's what I like about it because if it wasn't there, then I have a strong suspicion that it's all we would be able to notice is that there, there are no fans, there are no fans, there are no fans. And the way they like covered up the seats and put the logos everywhere to create this cool aesthetic and did inject this like super soft noise into the background, very subtle. It does really make it feel like a playoff atmosphere, a unique playoff atmosphere, but it doesn't feel like, you know, just some house league playing in front of no people. It still does feel like the NHL. And I think whether we really notice it or not, the crowd noise does have something to do with that. And whoever's controlling it, they have made a couple of mistakes with like the volume, like getting intense, like at the wrong time or like a second too late. But I do expect that as the playoffs go on, whoever's in charge of that will improve and it's going to get better and better. Yeah, we're on day one. Uh, gives them some room for error. I don't really mind. I mean, that's the thing, right? Uh, as long as I'm not ranting about it, I really don't have much of a problem with it. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe subconsciously it really is contributing to sort of a feeling of normalcy that we're looking for. Uh, and, you know, sounds like a normal hockey game. We love that. You talk about the aesthetic. I really like the aesthetic in the, in the building, I got to say. Yeah. Uh, all those big screens, they cover the thing. There's no empty seats. Empty seats would be weird. But they covered it up. The screens are cool. I really like the screens. Uh, it's it's just all kind of new agey, and it doesn't really feel weird. I don't, you know, the, when I look, watch the game, the first thing that comes to mind isn't, uh, oh, shit, we're really playing in the middle of a pandemic. It's really, oh, I'm really hyped to watch some playoff hockey. And I like that, and I think the NHL pulled that off pretty well. Yeah, wow. I, I still, I can't believe this is only day one. Like, I'm Crazy. just, I'm, I'm totally, I'm knocked out from it. Uh, the Flames Jets game just finished. Flames won four to one. By the way, uh, I can't believe that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and at two in the afternoon, I'm gonna have, there's going to be five more games of this. I can't wait. Honestly, tonight feels like like you know. Do you ever have like one of these moments where like something surprising happens in your life that can be anything, and then like all throughout the day you like you f- you forget about it and then you remember it and it kind of surprises you all over again. That's kind of what's happening to me with the fact that the Canadians just beat the Penguins in game one. Like, it, it reminds me, like, I feel right now the same way I felt uh, over a year ago when the Canadians drafted Cole Caulfield. Like, this, because I, this super, like, shocking moment of, like, the ideal scenario actually happened, and my expectations for it happening were practically non-existent. Yeah, it's truly, I don't know, kind of a euphoric moment, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Everything, euphoria. as a, as a Habs fan, it's just, like, you talk about the Caulfield draft, it feels like everything is kind of going right, you know? Like, just not just the Habs winning, but the Habs playing games and, you know, the pandemic. Uh, you know, every, not everything's perfect, obviously, but, you know, just it just feels, yeah, it feels good, you know? Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, the pandemic, it's, it's, it's wrecked havoc on everybody's mind, right? It's all we've been thinking about for the last five months. And, you know, to ha- finally have some hockey to watch and to have so much of it all at once, you know, it's like you're a kid at the candy store and you haven't you haven't had access to the candy for five months and you're kind of like, you're let loose and you're like, here, have all of it. Uh, go take whatever the hell you want and fuck, take a half playoff win while you're at it. Uh, it really is, I don't know, it's a special feeling. It's crazy, you know? It's just, yep. it's awesome. I mean, that's all, it's just, it's awesome. It's so awesome. 
uh, last week we skipped over the trivia segment, and I didn't want to do it for two weeks in a row, so I do have a little piece of trivia for this week planned, and the theme this week is today. So this is going to be about the games that happened today, and more specifically, it's going to be about the time on ice of the three afternoon oh, games. So okay. just uh, just as a little, you know, uh, not part of the quiz, but some knowledge you can have, four players for the Canadians played over 23 minutes in the game. Shea Weber played 31-35. Ben Chirot played 28-50. Uh, Jeff Petrie played 30-56. And the fourth guy is Nick Suzuki, who played 23 minutes and 10 seconds, leading all forwards. An absolute legend. And the question for this trivia is, in the three games that came before Montreal-Pittsburgh, uh, in the first game, there were two players who played over 23 minutes on either team. It could be both on the same team, could be one on each. In the second game, Edmonton-Chicago, there were three players in total who played at least 23 minutes. And in the Florida-New York Islanders game, there were two players. So that's seven total players. Two, then three, then two. Uh, I don't have a, a threshold set. I think maybe we'll say we'll go easy tonight. It's a it's a good it's a we're all happy tonight. So let's try to to get this win in the bag. We'll say four out of seven in total. So we'll start with we'll start with Hurricanes Rangers. Who were the two players in this game besides goalies, of course, who played at least twenty three minutes total? Jesus. Okay. Well, I gotta say, this is uh, an interesting. I did not see this half uh, coming, but I'm probably in a better position right now than ever. Uh, in order to actually get this right, because uh, yeah, I don't usually watch this many games. So yeah, all right. So who? Twenty-three minutes a game. We're probably thinking defensemen. Uh, let me think. I saw Jacob Slavin score, and so I think. Wait, what's the rule on get wrong guesses here? What's the deal? Uh, you you guess your two players. And then I'll tell you if you got both of them or one of them or none of them. So you either tick the box or you don't. Oh, okay. All right. This is hardcore. Okay. 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 I gotta. I gotta. I gotta think. Um. Damn. All right. All right. I can't take too long. We've already. We've already. This is, this is probably some bad podcast material to keep thinking like this. Um. So hmm, we will go Jacob Slavin, and hmm. Who was the guy? Didn't you send me someone? Uh, fuck, you told me it was Brett Howden. But that was... We were talking about Brett Howden earlier off air. Um, hmm. You know what? I will go with another Jacob. I'll go with Jacob Truman. Why not? What's what's the deal? Uh, Jacob Slavin is correct. He did play over 23 minutes. Ooh. I didn't put the actual numbers here. But he is one of the correct answers. The other one is Mika Zabanajad. So and he oh, played really? he played like twenty five minutes. He led the Rangers as a forward, which is pretty uncommon. So you were one for two so far in that first game. Uh next up, Oilers versus Blackhawks. Three players total in this game played at least twenty three minutes. Okay. So uh let me think. Okay, so I have to think Connor McDavid, right? Like they they didn't. You know what I call I call that criminal. Um okay. Uh and so three players, you know, I think I don't know, did they play dry saddle? Yeah, yeah, he played some time. He had the power play stuff. Yeah, I say Leon Dry Saddle. Uh on the Blackhawks. 
Uh, maybe Dying Cube. Yeah, the points. I guess so. Yeah, I'll do I'll do Duncan Cube. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Can I retract my guess? Uh, sure. If Connor, I don't think they both played twenty three. I think Connor played twenty three. Um, fuck. I'm trying to think. I think it's a defenseman on the on on the Oilers, and I'm juggling like Adam Larson or Darnell Nurse. I think I saw Darnell Nurse more, or was it Oscar Clefbaum? No, I felt like I saw Nurse a lot though. Uh, I'll go Nurse instead of Dreisaitl's Dreisaitl. I see Dreisaitl now. I don't know why. Anyways, McDavid, Nurse, and Keith. All right, that's my final answer. All right, uh, you are two out of three. Connor McDavid is correct. Connor McDavid played 23 minutes and 21 seconds. Darnell Nurse nice. is also correct. He, pl- he played 25 Ooh. minutes and 30 seconds. Duncan Keith, okay. unfortunately, was Duncan not Keith one right of these answer. players. Duncan Keith, right. Duncan, Keith, Duncan Keith played 22 minutes and, uh, and 24 seconds. So he was close, but not there. The one player you were missing is Edmonton Oilers defenseman Ethan Bear, 23 minutes and 57 Ethan seconds. Bear. 24? Shit. That's a uh, lot. Damn. Yeah, he's okay. developed into quite the player this year. Is he a rookie? Uh, I don't know if he's technically a rookie. I think he did play a little bit last season. But he's definitely come a long way this year into a top pair defenseman with Darnell Nurse. And he's been very impressive every time I've watched him. So kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So you're three for five now. So you're just going to yeah. get one out of these last two. And you've met the four from seven threshold. Panthers versus Islanders. Two players in this game played at least 23 minutes. Who are they? Okay. All right. Panthers, Islanders. You said two players, right? Okay, got to pick one yeah, from each team. Uh, two players. Oh, boy. I got to get one. Um, okay. Whew. All right, let's start with the Islanders. Who the fuck plays on the Islanders? I don't even know. They're all a bunch of nobodies. You know what? I'll say Matthew Barzell because I hope they played in more than 23 minutes. Matthew Barzell, lock that in for the Islanders. Uh, the Panthers side... Oh, Jesus Christ. One guy. I mean, probably Aaron Ekblad, right? Because that defense. They have Keith Yandel, too. But I think I think Ekblad's their guy now. And other than that, their defense is kind of dog shit. So, like, yeah, Aaron Ekblad. That sounds... I think he does the prop play, too, doesn't he? Or probably the... Yeah, he probably does a lot of special teams. Okay, we'll do Ekblad. And... Uh, who did I pick on the other team again? Fuck. Uh, Barzal. Said Barzal before. Ekblad and Barzal. Yeah. All right. Ekblad and Barzal. Five hundred. Okay. Okay. Right. Matthew Barzal okay. played sixteen minutes and thirty-seven seconds. What? No. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Oh Wait. man. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at geez. the. I'm looking at all the other forwards, and actually, he did have the second most ice time out of fours, only behind Brock Nelson. Oh. But uh, okay. Aaron Ekblad. Played 25 minutes, 34 seconds. So congratulations. Oh, my God. Four for seven. You have Ooh. won this time on ice today quiz. And Just barely. this is Just barely. probably this is a wrap on this very unusual episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. But honestly, I think this is probably one of my favorite ones we've done so far in the existence of the show. I mean, the circumstances surrounding it the best we've seen since we started the podcast and uh yeah i think for the majority of the time at this point for the, of this of the of this podcast majority of the episodes uh have been in quarantine without hockey uh i don't know the math on that but it's got to be pretty close and so with the return to hockey 
awesome. And it does feel unusual, but a good type of unusual for the first time in a while. Let's go. Uh, I mean, just great episode. Let's go. Uh huh. So it's now one sixteen in the morning. As soon as we stop Oof. recording, I'm going to edit, and it's probably going to be like, oh man, and upload. Uh, how long does that usually take? It's probably going to be well past two in the morning by the time I get to bed, which is later than I've stayed up recently. So I wouldn't be surprised to see myself sleep in to like twelve thirty tomorrow. But alas, no one really cares about my sleep schedule. So that's it. Hey, we appreciate the grind. We appreciate the grind. Yeah. Shout out, shout out, we appreciate the grind. That's it for uh, this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We will be back next week, possibly with, like, honestly, we might do, like, two separate episodes. One for, like, I haven't talked to you about this, but I thought of it earlier today. One to talk, to review the the plan slash round robin and preview the the next round. And then maybe a shorter one for uh, to talk about phase two of the draft lottery. Because that'll be going on like pretty much right at the same time on August 10th, which is going to be a Monday. So we'll see. We'll see what the plan is. But there will certainly be some hockey podcast content coming from us your way, in addition to the influx of actual hockey coming your way. Man, we got, we're getting hit with a tidal wave after months of like trying to scratch together different you know bits of news around the NHL. We're getting it all at once. We're getting all the candy. We're in the candy store. All the hockey. We got the lottery coming up. And yes, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, ramp up the content. Because, uh, uh, yeah, we got the news to, we got the news to fill the time. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.